When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into the room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows uh, what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can be seated. Uh, so, uh, good morning to you guys. Um, uh, I'm Pastor Chris. If you're if you're visiting uh, this this morning, we we we, we typically what we do is uh, our, our normal flow and rhythm is to go through books of the Bible. Uh, we just finished up the uh, the small but mighty book of Titus, as I like to call it. Uh, just this uh, last. Uh, week and um, so we're going to be uh, moving into uh, the book of First Peter uh, in in two weeks, uh, which I think is a really uh, helpful book for us, particularly in this cultural moment uh, that that we live in. Um, if you want to know what it is, you'll have to come back uh, two weeks from now. But uh, but uh, in, in in the meantime, in between uh, books, um, we we like to sort of address uh, some some of the things that. Uh, uh, I think are um, uh, just timely uh, for us to uh, discuss. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we live in a very disruptive time right now, right? Um, it seems like uh, whatever, what, whatever we find out uh, happens uh, one week uh, in terms of like uh, what's going on around the world, uh, whether it's race relations, whether it's COVID-19, uh, whether it's politics, right? Like there's, it's just, just when, just when we think like, okay, so here's where we're at now. It's like you make, you make a hard left, right? Uh, the, the following week. And so um, what I want to do is I want us to, to talk this morning about prayer. I want us to talk about prayer because um, with this disruptive nature of everything going on around us, it really behooves us, it behooves us to reorient our lives to include this discipline of prayer. All the more do we need this discipline of uh, prayer. Um, just even stuff happening in regards to like COVID-19 is really uh, starting to hit home for our church uh, family. Uh, we have some members of our church who've lost loved ones uh, to uh, the coronavirus. Uh, we have members of our church who tested positive and have had to be away from us now for a couple weeks uh, because of that. Uh, we, we have members that um, are in high-risk situations or about to have babies and, and just for whatever reason, uh, it, it's, it's this very disruptive time that we live in. And so we need to reorient our lives uh, to rehearse and remember the importance of the discipline of prayer. Uh, in fact, mainstream media recently uh, 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 showed an interest in prayer. 
There's mainstream interest in prayer that has gained traction over the last few months. According to one uh, news source out of the UK, the number of people Googling the word prayer has dramatically increased since March. Uh, in some communities that are hit hard uh, by, by COVID, you've got doctors and nurses that are meeting on rooftops of hospitals to pray for their patients, to pray for their communities and pray for their cities. And there's just something about the daily disruptions that, that we're having, that we're, we're running into each week in and week out. There's something about these daily disrupting, disruptions that are, are driving us collectively as a people, thanks dude, uh, to be more grounded in prayer. This, 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 this discipline, this discipline of prayer was a priority for Jesus. His life and his ministry, especially those last three years of his life, those three years of his ministry on earth, uh, were, 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 were you could call very disruptive. Uh, from, from what he was going through. But when you look at the story of Jesus, do you see him kind of rushing off, hiding and all stressed out? No, you actually see that he's really intentional. He's all the more intentional with his time. He always made time to pray. It says this all throughout the Gospels. It says, and after they went here, uh, Jesus uh, went off to the side and he prayed. Before they went over there, he went off to the side and he prayed. Uh, and in, in our text this morning, we see that his disciples have been so enamored by, so just wooed by uh, his wonderful prayer life that they ask him, they say, hey, teacher, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray the way that you do with everything going on? And so I want us to look at this text and, and see what we can learn specifically on two points. One, I want us to see what this I want us to look at what this, this text tells us about our posture we should have in prayer. What posture should our, our hearts and minds have in prayer? Uh, and, and secondly, let's just talk about the practice of prayer, right? What are the things that we should actually be praying about? And so um, let, let's, let's dig into that. Uh, but uh, first, uh, would you guys just, just pray uh, with me and then we'll get into God's word. Father, I thank you so much uh, just for the sweet gift of your church. Um, that even though um, many of us uh, cannot uh, be gathering in person for one reason or the other, um, that there are, first of all, those of us that can, uh, that there are members of this church who have been so hospitable and opening up their, their home and their residence uh, for us to gather and that we have uh, technology available so that those who cannot gather with us uh, this morning um, uh, can still be with us in, in some sense of that word. And Lord, we just recognize that uh, this situation is not ideal. It's not um, the best way for us to uh, live out what you call us to in, in the scriptures. Um, but we're just going to trust, Lord, that you are good and that you are shaping your goodness, your Christ-likeness in us uh, through this. And we trust this morning that you have for each of us, myself included, just a pointed message for each of us from your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you to open up our eyes to see the truth and the wonder and the beauty and the goodness uh, in 
your word this morning. Would you do that in Christ's name? Amen. So point number one, let's talk about uh, the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. So in, in explaining the posture of prayer that we should have, the, 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 the true heart of prayer that we should have, Jesus gives uh, a couple examples to his disciples of what prayer is not, right? And he says there in verse five, he says, hey, when you guys pray, when you, when you, my disciples, you who call yourselves Christians, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But when you pray, you go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, when we read this, should we draw the conclusion that Jesus is against praying in public, right? Like, are, are, is this text telling us that Jesus is against, like, praying in public, like uh, when you're at a restaurant uh, about to enjoy your meal and you want to bless that food, right? Uh, is he against praying in public? The answer, of course, is no. He's not against praying in public. He's not slamming public prayer. He's actually using uh, that literary device called hyperbole here. And we can know that he's using hyperbole because he and his disciples, they prayed out in public all throughout the Gospels, all throughout his ministries. We see him them praying in public. Uh, and, and all throughout the book of Acts, you see his disciples gathering and praying in the, in, 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 in the, in the city square. And so what Jesus is calling out here, and we know this because of the way that he qualifies what he's saying. What Jesus is calling out here is, is the hypocrite who has more of a public prayer life than he does a private prayer life. You know what a hypocrite is? That Greek word that we actually get uh, for uh, hypocrite uh, literally means uh, one who, who wears a mask, uh, which I know kind of takes on a totally different... Definition these days, right? Like, I thought we were supposed to do that. Uh, but, you know, like wearing a mask in terms of like a disguise or a costume, right? It was, uh, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was an old like drama term uh, in the ancient Greek world. And so that's what a hypocrite was. It was somebody who wears a disguise. Someone who hides behind a front in order to be seen as one thing when he or she is really like something else entirely. And that's what Jesus is calling out. That's exactly what he's calling out. It's when you have this public prayer life, but you don't have a private one. And that's why he says there in verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Again, he's using hyperbole. He's not saying uh, that there is only this, you know, six by six foot space that you can that you can pray at. He's not saying that you can only pray in your room. He's saying that the private prayer life should always come before your public one. The one should flow into the other. The one should determine the other. You see, if you have a vibrant relationship with God the Father through God the Son in the power of God the Spirit, then your public prayer life will just be an outpouring of what you already have in your relationship with the triune God. It should be an outpouring of what you already have in your private prayer life. You see, some of some, some of us, I know we're coming from all across like the faith spectrum here at King's Cross Church. That's one of the things I love about our church community. I know that for, for, for some of us, like uh, some of you who are newer to the Christian life, you, you might be saying, uh, well, well, well I, don't, 
I, I know how to pray by myself, but I just don't know how to pray in front of people, right? Like you get nervous about that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can pray in front of people. And Jesus would say, that's exactly where I want you to start. Because that's what matters the most. Like don't, don't, don't worry about that, that public prayer stuff. Like what, what, what matters is your private devotion life. Let that flow out into your, your public ministry. And so some of you have been walking with Jesus for a while though, and you pray more frequently and more comfortably when you're praying in front of people. You pray more frequently and more comfortably when you're leading prayer at a meal when you're holding hands with people from the church, right, and, 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 and uh, uh, praying with a, a, a group of, of, of people, uh, you're, it's more frequent and more comfortable in those settings than it is when you're alone. And to you, Jesus would say, look, you, you're missing the whole heart of the matter. You're missing the whole heart of the matter. You're not really connecting with me, Christ would say. Tim Keller notes this in his really helpful book on prayer that came out a few years ago. He says, um, oh, the first sentence got cut out here. He says, uh, when you, no, that's not it. Uh, he says something along the lines of like, um, when you're private, uh, uh, oh, that the health of your spiritual life should be determined by the health of your private prayer life. And then he continues and he says, many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. They pursue it even during times of spiritual dryness when there is no social or experiential payoff. You see, that's what Jesus is, is, is getting at here. He, he, he's talking about uh, just the health of the private prayer life. Now I want you to see how he continues here in verse 7. Look what he says there. In verse 7 he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now here he's saying, look, when you pray, just be yourself, right? Don't be like uh, some of these people who, who, who uh, with their spirituality, try to use like all these, uh, uh, all, 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 these, all these big words, all these spiritual um, phrases in, in, in order, uh, thinking that like, hey, if, if, I, if I pray a certain way, if I use uh, a, a, a certain like uh, dialect or emphasis, then like God will hear me more, right? Uh, and, and Jesus is saying like that, no, don't, don't, don't do that. You're missing, again, the heart of the matter if you're doing that. He says, when you, you do pray, just be yourself. Don't try and impress God with your words. Come to him as a child comes to his or her father. You're not going to impress God about, with a bunch of these and thous and, thou, and, and thys uh, as though like the Almighty only speaks in ancient Shakespeare. That's the kind of thing Jesus says not to do. He says, do not heap up empty phrases. And then look what he says there in the next verse. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, so God doesn't need to be compelled or persuaded by your fancy prayers. Nor does he need to be informed by your prayers. Right? He knows what you're going to pray even before you pray them. 
And so that might have us scratching our heads like, well, then if God already knows what I'm going to pray, then why pray? Why should we pray? The answer is simple. It's because we get to. We get to. As children of God, we get to pray and know that we have our Father's ear. That's what Jesus is getting at. He says, look, if your prayer life is truly genuine, it should be primarily private, void of empty religious piety, and directed to God as a Father who knows you. This is the heart of prayer. It's not about what you say. It's not about how you say it. It's not even about who's present to be impressed by it. Prayer is about not those things. It's not about what you say, how you say, or who's impressed by it. Prayer is about who you are as a son or daughter of the living God. True prayer is not the product of religious activity. It is the product of relational adoration to the God who made us, to the God who loves us, pursues us, before the foundation of the world has wooed us to himself, reconciled us through the blood of his Son. As one writer says, to pray is to speak to and listen to the one who calls you, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. You see, we need to get that. We need to get that prayer is about authentic relationship because God is a father. He's a good father. He's a perfect father who loves his children. And look, I, like, like that whole idea was radical for, for, for the people that, that were hearing this in that, in that day. Uh, uh, particularly like his disciples, Jesus' disciples uh, were primarily had this Jewish background. Uh, and at the time, uh, uh, the Jewish community had this, this really big, lofty view of God's uh, omnipotence and his sovereignty and just the reverence that we should have for him, um, which is all good and wonderful and true and beautiful. And we don't want to take away from that, right? But what happened is they were all about that and, 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 and they had a very uh, small theology on uh, on how God desires to be near to them, that he is like a father to them. And that was radical for his day. He really wanted them to, 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 to get that. And now, 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 now our tendency today is uh, we might, uh, we, like in, in, in American Christianity, in 21st century Western Christianity, uh, we we might tend to, to lean more towards the other way, right? We might want to lean more towards like the love of God and how God saves us through Jesus and here's how much God loves us, right? That he would, he would send his son to, to die for us. And like, again, that's all good, wonderful, and, and, and beautiful. But, but maybe one of the correctives that we need in the Western church is to recapture a vision of the grandness and the greatness and the sovereignty and the holiness of God. But if we want to be self-reflective with this text. What we don't want to do is to overcorrect to where we just start to lose sight of how truly wonderful and heartwarming it is to say God is our good and perfect Father and that we're to relate to Him as children relate to a good Father. That is the starting point to prayer. That is a posture we need to have, one that is, that is void of pretense, 
and that approaches God as a good and perfect parent. It's a father-child relationship. Like, it'd be weird if I required my five-year-old Dottie to only use fancy words and, when, and, and come with like a pre-made meeting agenda for all of our conversations, right? Like, that'd be strange, right? Like, like she, shouldn't, she shouldn't have to, to, to do that because uh, she's my daughter. She should just be able to come up to me and say, Daddy, and have a conversation. That's the kind of relationship Jesus is saying that we should have with the Lord. A child can talk, my child can talk to me, my children can talk to me just because I'm their daddy. I don't care the words they use, to an extent, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't care what, what time it is, right? Like, they can come to me anytime uh, because they're my children. Now, look, I recognize, like some of us, when it comes to the fatherhood of, of, of God, that that that... that that term fatherhood uh, might be a uh, painful word for some people, for a lot of people. Some of you had awful fathers, maybe a father who wasn't there, a father who wasn't engaged. Um, maybe, maybe your father and you're haunted by uh, your, your own parental fail- failures. And the reason that it, 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 it hurts to hear words like that is because you're, you're confronted with those failures or, uh, or maybe it hurts you growing up when dad wasn't there. And because something in your soul tells you, the reason that we can, that we can say those things, the reason that um, a, a, a father can lament his own failures, the reason that um, a child can lament his, fa- his or her fatherless upbringing is because there's something in our souls that tells you what a good father is. There's something in our souls that tells us what a good father ought to be and that a good father should be there for his children. That's what we all have a sense of that. And God is that archetype. He is that good, good father. That is the model for all other uh, um, uh, fathers to come. You see, the heart of prayer is not that we talk our way up to God, but that God as a father in his goodness and grace has come down to give us his ear. And this is what sets the Christian faith apart from every other world religion, because it tells us that God can be known closely, that he can be related to intimately, We don't work our way up to some far distant God. We talk to the God who came down near to us. We call him Father in the best and fullest sense of that word. We don't pray to an impersonal force or a distant God. We pray to a Father with a name, a Father who is sovereign and powerful, and a God who loves his family. Now, verse 9 we see that Jesus starts to transition from the posture we should have in prayer uh, to the practice of prayer that we should have. He transitions from telling us what not to do, and then he tells us what we should do. He says in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. Um, Now, this is where we get our second point, the practice of prayer. Because what comes after those words in verse 9 um, is, is in, 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 in the most famous, is, is the most famous prayer in the Christian faith, right? 
uh, Jesus starts to give us a model for prayer. And when Jesus says, pray like this, he wasn't saying like, hey, pray like this verbatim, right? Pray like this verbatim. He was not saying that. It's as if the, these words, uh, it's not like these words were meant to be repeated again and again in like some chant or mantra or vain repetitions, right? The Lord's prayer is a model. He says, pray like this, right? These are the things that you should be praying about. This is a model that by the power of the Spirit we can learn from, from and, and grow in. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he had this uh, 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 daily habit, this daily discipline where he would take the Lord's Prayer and recite it in his own words uh, based on uh, that given day. Uh, and so that's the kind of idea that, that Jesus is getting at here when he says, pray like this. Now let's look at the prayer line by line. He says, pray like this, pray our Father in heaven. Let's talk about that. Our Father in heaven. First, I want you to notice that Jesus uses the pronoun our. He says our instead of the pronoun my, right? He says our instead of my. Why does he do that? It's because the Christian faith is a family faith, Right? It's a community faith. It's not something you can live out in a silo or apart from community, apart from relationships. You can't do it. Christianity is something that you live out with a spiritual family. That's why we love the local church. It's about giving priority uh, uh, to, you see, giving priority to your inner spiritual life, which is what we've been talking about. Giving priority to that inner spiritual life does not mean that you have an individualistic life. It doesn't mean that it's only your inner spiritual life. It actually involves a church community. It involves participation in corporate worship like this, along with private devotion. And so we pray our Father, which is a way of praying in Jesus' name. When we address God as Father, that's almost a way of saying uh, that we're praying in Jesus' name. And he says, so he says our, he says father. Now I've already talked about the fatherhood of God, but I want you to recognize um, that when Jesus is using this word um, father, um, oftentimes when he's teaching the disciples like how to pray, and when we hear him, when we see him praying in the New Testament, um, rather than a Greek word, uh, there's a, an Aramaic word, Abba, uh, which is a very like colloquial term uh, for, for father. Uh, you can almost translate it like daddy. Right, and and this would be this would be really fascinating to Jesus's audience when he tells them, "Hey, pray to God like this, our Daddy in heaven." Right, just really emphasizing the nearness of God, His love and His intimacy with His children. And he continues, and he says, "Hallowed be Your name." Now, that word hallow is an old-fashioned word that no one uses anymore. Um, in the Greek, it's this, uh, it's, this word, um, uh, it's this word that literally means to declare as holy, to set apart, to declare as holy or to set apart. And so to hallow his name, to hallow God's name is to say, Lord, let your name be holy. Let your name be held with reverence and with awe. We're talking about the greatness and the majesty of God here. Jesus is saying, look, when you pray to the Father, 
Yes, you're praying to the Father who came near to you. But man, you still worship him. You still worship him. You still recognize your place before this heavenly father. It needs to start there. See, it breeds humility in the one who prays when you recognize the holiness of God. You see, when, when, when someone tells me, hey, I prayed for this thing and my, my prayer didn't work, it, they, it usually what they're trying to say is, is, hey, the thing I asked for didn't come. The thing that I asked for didn't come. And so we'll, we'll often ask the question, you know, like, well, well, did you start here? Did you start by acknowledging, meditating on, uh, just, just giving credence to just the greatness of God, his perfection, his wisdom, his, his goodness, his faithfulness? Pray to God about those things and then give him your, your request. But what we'll often find is that when we're when we're just standing before the beauty and the magnitude of God, what we often find is that our hearts start to change uh, in light of His glory and in light of His grace. Um, because starting there creates humility in us and shapes our hearts to know His will, to get more acquainted with His will. Jesus continues on in His model prayer, and He says, Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to imagine that you are adopted into a new family, right? If God is our father, I want you to imagine that you're adopted into a family and your new father says, all right, it's time to come home now. It's time to come home now. And you're like, you've never left the orphanage in your life. And you're like, where, where is this? Where, where, where is home? And he says, well, we have this enormous estate with a palace on the hill and the chair in my living room is a throne. And, and yeah, like I'm, I happen to be a king. I don't know if, you, if they mention that to you, like I happen to be a king. You'd be like, wow, this worked out really great for me, right? I am pretty excited about my new situation. And you see, we need to recognize that like God, he's our father, but he's also the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And so when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, God, I want your perfect kingdom. Your world as you intended it. Restored, redeemed, renewed. Perfect justice, perfect goodness, perfect beauty. I want to see that realized. Lord, would you have your kingdom come? Would you have your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven? You see, God rules and reigns over all nations and all time. There's no limit to his dominion and his kingdom cannot be thwarted. Recognize that that king is the father that we pray to. This world is broken. Absolutely. We just look around and we see that this world is broken and has pain and evil throughout it. But remember, this is why Jesus came. He came to step into our mess so that he could take on the mess and clean us up to make us pure and new. That is the whole point. That's the whole point. He came was to declare war against all that is evil and to fix all that is broken and to make new all that is decaying. 
One day the Bible tells us Jesus will crush his enemies and his perfect kingdom will be restored. And all that is true, all that is good, and all that is beautiful will be preserved and multiplied forever and will never decay in his perfect kingdom. There will be peace, hope, and love. There will be justice and mercy and grace. A world without pandemics, a world without power-driven dictators. It will be God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray that the kingdom that will one day fully come in Christ will begin coming now through our prayers. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, pray this way. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And look, that's why we as a church, we want to serve our neighbors. We want to engage our community. This is why we're part of a network that plants churches, that plants churches, that plants churches. Because we want to make, as John Calvin says, the invisible kingdom visible. That can only happen through the power of Lord and Spirit. That can only happen through the power of the gospel, through God's church on God's mission, advancing God's kingdom. Jesus continues. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Look, our Father, our Father King wants us to pray for our most basic needs. Food, home, finances. And you know, typically, like this has been hard for us to understand because in the West, we're like self-made people and we don't really like to think about how we're most, at the most fundamental level, like dependent creatures. Uh let's be honest, that playing field is kind of leveled out, right? For a lot of us. For a lot of us in our church community. But look, this is the reason that we pray to God and we thank God before our meals, uh, before we eat. There are some people who live in nations where they really do have to pray for their next meal. Because they have no idea where it's going to come from. I've been to some of those nations. I've ate with some of those people. I've been... And the people, people, if you've ever been to a nation like that, to a very underdeveloped nation, and worship with the Christians there, man, they know how to worship. They know how to sing. They know how to share their faith. They know how to pray because everything is a gift of grace to them. You know what? Everything is a gift of grace to us too. We're just too spoiled to recognize it most of the time. He continues in verse 12. Jesus says, uh, pray like this. He says, pray, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Um, you may have heard it say, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. You see, Jesus prayed a lot in the Gospels. But confession is one prayer that he never had to pray because he is perfect, holy, and without sin. But here he reminds us that all sins, which includes the bad things we do and the good things we fail to do, sins of commission and some sins of omission, uh, all of our sins are spiritual debts against God. And look, when you start your prayer on the holiness of God, like saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you start your prayer thinking about the holiness of God, 
you'll naturally get to the place where you realize how much you need grace. But remember, this is why Jesus came. This is why he came. And it's because Jesus is our Redeemer and Savior, our spiritual debt has been paid in full. And so we have forgiveness for our past, for our present, and for our future sins. You don't have to confess to a priest or to a, a, an earthly mediator. You already have one in Christ. You don't have to pay a balance in purgatory. Uh, Jesus paid it in full. You don't have to make it up by doing good work. You get to receive grace as a gift. He says, Lord, forgive us our sins, knowing that that forgiveness is offered us freely by his own blood. Jesus told us to pray like this. Man, we don't like to think about how much in need of God's grace we are. Again, we're self-made people in our culture, in our Western culture. But that's why uh, we see all throughout church history um, Christians have made such a big deal uh, about uh, uh, rehearsing and revisiting just the doctrine of atonement, like what Jesus accomplished on the cross in our place for our sins. That every time churches gathered, they made a big deal about that, right? And, 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 they, and they prayed through that. That's why, by the way, we do a prayer of, of, of confession uh, at the beginning of every single one of our services, we take a moment of silence to consider our need for God's grace. And for many of us, that might be the only moment of silence that we have all week because we're so just overly hurried people. Man, Jesus says, no, when you pray, I want you to think about your debt. Pray for God's forgiveness, knowing full well that it's freely offered to you in Christ himself. And he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And look, because Jesus forgives our sins... We extend grace to others and we forgive them. This doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're to be uh, pushovers, right? It doesn't mean that we excuse others for their sin. It doesn't mean that we let them trample all over us and dictate our every move. Uh, uh, it means that you're not excusing your, their sin, but you're letting go of all bitterness, you're letting go of all spite and bitterness because you yourself have been forgiven. Because you know what God has done for your sin, you are freed from the impulse to be cynical. Lastly, Jesus prays for spiritual protection. Verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look, the Christian life is a transformed life. You are dead to your old self. You're alive to the new. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Jesus says. You see, if you belong to Jesus, then repentance, which is owning your own sin, taking responsibility for it, and turning from it, is a big part of your life. All right? Like if you belong to Jesus, then repentance is a big part of your life. Jesus says when we, when we can pray for God's help, uh, uh, that w Jesus says we can pray for God's help when we do fight sin. When we do fight sin, we can pray for God's help. He says uh, it's kind of like a small child who can only like, it'll, like navigate through a, a, 
uh, through a, a place like, like, like Disneyland, right? Like you're trying to navigate through a crowd at Disneyland uh, and not get lost uh, by holding your, your daddy's hand, right? Like God can lead us. He, he can direct us. He can, he can help us along the way. Now, in a moment, we're going to take uh, communion together and we're going to rehearse this gospel of grace um, when we take communion together. And that's, this, this, this gospel of grace is the reason that we pray, right? Because Jesus' body was broken for us, because his blood was spilt for us, we can have the Father's ear. Grace is why we can't get to pray. We need the grace of God at work in our lives, and we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. This prayer from Jesus is good news for us because it reminds us that our God is a father who listens, who cares, who's gracious, and who just wants to be with us. He wants to keep us from destruction, keep us in his family, bring us into his kingdom. You see, the Lord's Prayer, which is traditionally what this prayer is called, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for the Lord's people. If you know Jesus, you can pray this prayer because you are forgiven. You've been given much, you've been given much, and you're a citizen of the kingdom. And see, we miss the heart of prayer when the foundation of our prayer is our technique, uh, of, or, of, or our words, or when it's focused on ourselves and what we want to get, what we want to achieve. But this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a prayer that is all about getting to know God, enjoying His grace, trusting in His power and care, and longing for His kingdom to be realized. And again, we recognize that all of this is possible because of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. I want you to read with me the prayer that another prayer that Jesus prayed right before he died on the cross for our sins. Um, as we're reading this, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and pass out the communion elements. Now remember, we're going to we're going to take these um, we're going to take these together uh, this morning, and so I want you to to hang on uh, to. Uh, the cup and the bread, and uh, let's 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 all take the elements together. All right, but I want you to to hear this prayer that Jesus prayed right before he died on the cross for our sins. In Luke chapter twenty-two, verse forty-two. On the night that Jesus was about to be arrested, sent to be crucified, he said and he prayed this prayer. He says, "Father." If you are willing, would you remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, thanks. Not my will, but yours be done. He says, Father, look, God, if, Father, if you're willing, if you would allow this to happen, would you remove this cup from me? And the cup he's talking about is the cup of suffering, the cup of God's wrath that we read about in the Old Testament that would get poured out against God's enemies. That was a cup that was reserved for us. And Jesus had this cup in front of him. 
And he could almost picture it on, on the night before he was crucified. And he sees this cup, the cup of God's wrath, and he says, Father, if you're willing, would you remove this cup from me? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, considering that verse, I want you to ask, how is it that we can have the privilege of praying to the almighty, holy God and have our prayers heard by him as a child to a father? How is it possible for cosmic rebels like you and me to speak to the king that we've sinned against and call him father? It's because Jesus laid down his life and surrendered to that prayer. Your will be done, your kingdom come. You see, grace is available to us because Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. Grace is available to us. We can be sons and daughters of the living God on high because through Jesus' broken body and spilt blood, God's kingdom has come and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.